This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Futurati podcast. Any member of the Futurati is somebody who believes in the power of the future. We know there's a better world ahead, and we indeed have the power to make it so. In our podcast, we talk to the best minds in the world about the most urgent problems facing mankind today, and we hope you learn as much from them as we do. I'm Thomas Fry, a professional futurist and keynote speaker. And I'm Trent Fowler, a machine learning engineer and author. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Futurati podcast. Tonight, we're joined by Jeff Booth. Jeff is a visionary leader who has lived at the forefront of technology change for 20 years. In January 2020, Jeff released his first book titled The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is Key to an Abundant Future, in which he offers his provocative thesis about the current state of our economies and what must happen to enable a brighter future. If you enjoy this interview, please don't forget to like the episode and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out our website, futuratipodcast.com. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Trent. Thanks for having me. Let's hear a little bit about your background, your interests, and what brought you to working on the projects that you're working on today. Um, specific, I, I, the easiest way, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, always been an entrepreneur. Uh, and as an entrepreneur, kind of look to solve problems um, more and more so uh, with technology, just where the technology is taking so much of where we're going in, in the world. Um, started solving those problems with technology. And when you do that well, uh, you create really great businesses because because you solve problems for people, people use your business. Um, and so that uh, that's been my world for the last, call it 30 years, just constantly looking at that. One of the companies I created, uh, Build Direct, grew to about half a billion dollars in market cap uh, at, uh, at, its, at its peak. Um, and a lot of ups and downs, wars throughout that. Most of the learnings, most of the things that I thought were outside of events were actually me stopping success. So most of the learnings you learn as an entrepreneur are how do you do this better next time. And, and, and so today um, I sit on I'm, I'm chair of about, I think, nine different boards, uh, own a bunch of different technology companies or, or co-owner of a bunch of different technology companies, founder of a number of t- different technology companies. Um, and I wrote a book called um, uh, the, uh, 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 the Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is Key to an Abundant Future. Um, that, and, and I wrote that from my experiences as an entrepreneur. So 2008 was kind of a big turning point for you. Is that correct? That a lot well, of things happened at that point. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, two thousand eight was a turning point for a lot of people in the world. Um, two thousand eight in my business, uh, specifically in my business, the business um, I had to sell our family home and go all into the business to save the business. Um, at one point in that business, 
um, there was a three-day period where we had letters of credit across with banks all around the world, and we had all the money in in our own bank, um, but no other bank bank in the in China or Europe or anywhere else would take our money. And so, what you re, what you, what I realized out of there is how how close the global meltdown almost came to happen happening, and 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 because the entire financial world was sitting on this liquidity. And if you removed that liquidity, the whole thing collapsed and stopped. So we actually had containers all around the, the world that were just parked yeah, on, on, and, and nobody would take our money. And it, and it, it made me real. And, and so to get out of that in the business, where, so massive liquidity came into the market to be able to save the market. But you actually also corrupt what happened as a result is you corrupted capitalism. The same architects of the crisis were rewarded, and they had a one-way bet: as as you socialized all the losses, and you and and you and you rewarded the people who created the problem with more with more money. As a business owner, I don't know. I, I don't know specifically. You could, you could at the time, you could say, okay, well, what would have happened if nobody, nobody, if the Fed didn't come in and print money? And what would have happened is a complete collapse. Everything would have unwound. And the thing that we think is money, all of the banks would have collapsed one by one all around the world. There would be no food on shelves. It would, it would have looked really horrible. So in that environment, you could say. Did they do the right thing or not? Maybe, maybe not, because we don't know what it would have looked like on the other side. But what we do know is this, you forever ruined capitalism. You forever ruined what happened. And once you did that, a whole bunch of people that, the whole bunch of people, if you had savings at that time, a whole bunch of cash, or if you're working for wages, you got annihilated. And if you had a whole bunch of debt, you got saved is really what, what happened. So, so some people won, some people didn't. Our own, my business, you said my own personal reaction in there, my business almost failed. And I had to sell our family house to be able to save the business. And it got me to not, so we, we the business did really well after that. And we made it through, but, but it got me to wondering if somebody could just press a button and change everything manipulate money at that extent and and how much of the free market existed and how much of my work and everything else was really really a coin flip got me just got me wondering on that so 2008 was a big year i think for everybody because there were a lot of people that weren't so fortunate out of the, out of that event too they were on the other side of that bat we were fortunate as a it was close three young kids under five sell your family home go all into a business it was close but we, we were almost completely wiped out in that so it also triggered uh the start of bitcoin um so we we need to ask you are you actually satoshi nakamoto <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm okay. not. A lot of a lot of people have asked me that question because <laughs> because the the book that I wrote uh, just lays out what's happening here at a macro framework. Uh, 
and and a lot of people <laughs> I get all I get quite often um, uh, people commenting is is Jeff Booth a time traveler coming back in time to tell us what's happening so so but no I am not Satoshi. <laughs> What are, what are some of the lessons you learned as an entrepreneur weathering that storm? Uh, you mentioned earlier that you know, a lot of entrepreneurship is just learning how to not make the same mistakes you know, in, in a second round. But obviously, if you're wiped out in something like the 2008 financial crisis, you don't get a chance to play that game anymore. So I just wonder if you have words of wisdom or any principles that you, you know, were able to arrive at as a result of having lived through that and having so narrowly missed the catastrophe that that could have been visited upon oh lots uh it's where to start uh, um so if i look back at who i was when i started the entrepreneurial journey and i look at that person if i'm honest and what that person knew compared to the person now it's it, it's night and day i look at entrepreneurs today and i think they're so far much so much better than i was at that time um and and i was I had an idea. I was. I had an ego that that that, that it was going to work no matter what. I had a chip on my shoulder because when everybody tells you this is the stupidest idea in the world and you believe <laughs> it, you're all 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 in. Um, you need to make it work. And then, and one of the things that happened is then when it works, and our business went from one million uh, in, in said fourteen thousand the first month to a million by that the end of the year to 14 million the next year 28 million it was just a rocket ship of, of growth and what you want to do what you should do at that time is is hire the best team you can and see what don't i know what you typically do at that time is i told you so and you get a whole bunch of yes people around you to say and you miss the next cycle and i did that for sure and I missed the next cycle. And so, um, so that was one learning. I would, I would say probably the greatest learning is this though. Um, and it relates to, we all can see other people's problems and what's stopping them really easily. We spend all of our time thinking about ourselves, but talking about other people's problems. And, and I'll give it an example of something and it's just, and I don't want to pick on this person or this archetype or this personality or, but, but, but we all create our own future. Um, and if you look at the victim mentality, they believe in their world that it's everybody else. And they have a sign on their forehead that everybody's looking at that sign and they know it's not everybody else. It's that person. And, and the reason they do it is for connection. They try to, they're trying to get love. They're trying to get love and belonging. And at first, as your victim, a whole bunch of people come in and they give you love and belonging. And after a while, it wears out. And so what ends up happening is people move further and further away from that person. And, and that person, typically what they do is they double down on drama. And they've created their own reality, but they don't know it. And nobody tells them that truth. They have a sign on their forehead telling the world what's stopping them, but nobody tells them. And so that got me thinking, if that's true for the victim, it's probably true for everybody. And we also don't see what's stopping us. We tell ourselves we want something, 
and whether it's money, great family, great uh, healthy, wh whatever it is, we tell ourselves these stories and, and we are likely pushing away the very thing we want and no one's telling us as well. And it, 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 and, and, and it's easy to look at other people and see it, but it's really hard to look at ourselves and see it. You know, if I say that one thing this entire business taught me, this entire ride of, of all the ups and downs is that's probably, it's it, it, when I don't have something in my life that I want, when, I, when there's not abundance everywhere, it's me, it's not anybody else. Mm -hmm. That's that's pretty remarkable. I was actually commenting on that asymmetry a couple of days ago on Twitter, where it's 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 amazing how useful it can be just to ask yourself, how would I tell someone else to solve this problem? And just adopting the frame of giving yourself advice is sometimes all it takes for you to take that outside perspective and then to immediately see what the problem is. And I, I'm just continuously amazed at how good we are at insulating ourselves from that kind of knowledge. And I've long wondered what exactly it is that's driving that. What's the mechanism behind it? It's it, it's the th what I think it is, is um, we're all driven by love and belonging. And that's the, what the victim is doing when they're trying to get love and belonging. And it works. And, and to admit that the thing you're using to get it isn't working anymore, rips apart every every part of your thinking and it's so you don't want to you don't want to believe it's you but by the way it's actually the exact same thing for the billionaire pushing his family away to get more money it's exactly the same thing because they're trying to get love and belonging through a whole bunch of people telling them they matter because of how much money they have and they push away so it's it's exactly the same thing in all of these constructs I think, and and to change that construct, you have to you have to you have to realize it's something way deeper in yourself, and it's hard to change that construct. It's hard to see in yourself. Our ego protects ourselves from that. So, can you fill us in a little bit on the the types of businesses you've been involved in, and um, and the type of industries you work in? <laughs> All types. Um, yeah, all, all types. It typically, the broad the, the broad based uh, nature of that is where technology is a, is an intersection of timing where that technology is going to change the world and and provide way more value. Um, so, so people are doing something today in a certain way, and an entrepreneur has an idea for technology for uh, tied to technology ideally a network effect built into the product that can that that that, that takes it takes what we do today and changes it completely and people would in typically wouldn't see that type of innovation until it's already there and it's it, and it starts to build uh, build really fast and i know uh, thomas you write a lot about it uh, bunch about this i'm involved in many many companies uh, that are like that what uh, was this company called thinkific that provides um a service for people to make uh to to sell their courses online um so it's almost crowdsourced coursing and it, uh, so it's a SaaS service that company went public last year i was the first investor and i mentor to the ceo and uh in, in in that company and so they went public at about a billion dollars um and uh and and 
and lots of companies like that. I'm involved. Uh, I'm chairman of a company called Cubic Farms right now, that is uh, that I suspect is going to completely change agriculture, and local be able to localize agriculture. When you see what they're doing there, because when you hit a, a, a cost, a price or price uh, price quality that is way less cost, you're not pushing against another channel anymore. It, uh, it the the market takes it. Okay, uh, so that that ends up being kind of uh, a blue ocean company once it uh, kind of carves its way out of the kind of the turmoil of competition. Um, so so you're you're always looking for that that key ingredient that change factor that can just be added to a company. And suddenly, it um, it explodes in um, in opportunity and value all at the same time. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I kind of have three rules, um, three general, and and there's it's still you have to say no for a hundred times for every one you say yes to, um, but but the three three things are: um, does this technology can can this make a positive change to the world? Can it, re, can, it, can it help a bunch of people? Rule yeah. number one. Rule number two, do I love the founders? And when I say love, I mean, you, you, you probably know this. Uh, technology companies are inherently, they're, 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 they're tough. They're, you're, you're changing the world and you have to be, you have to be able to tell that founder anything oh, yeah. to, to be able to help them. And you can't do that just sitting on the board trying to rub your own ego. You have to do that shoulder to shoulder with them to try to help them. So you're all in for the good, bad, ugly. Um, so do I love the, the, those founders? Do I really want them to win? And then third, can't do I think my unique skill set could be helpful here? And then even then, you have to say no most of the time. But that's kind of the, my filter for what I look at. I kind of want to piggyback off this series of questions and just ask, what are the technologies that you're most currently excited about? Given that you're on all these boards, you founded these companies, you're a wildly successful entrepreneur, you've written tech books. What's what what gets you excited in the morning? What what makes you think that the future is is bright? Oh, so there are um, it's it, it, it it's interesting um, and and. Uh, Thomas, I know you write about this as, as well, but it's not just one technology. There, the, the, we've never lived in a time that these are. There's a convergence of all the, these technologies at once coming together. And what typically happens uh, with, 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 and what makes it, people seeing the future it, it really, really hard, is they don't see the iPhone until it's there. It, it's the iPhone's only ten years old or so. Um, but they don't see it until till it's there, and then they can't imagine their lives without it. But remember the Palm Pilot that came out just before? It just missed the intersection of the technology window. To right. to it was just too early, and and it was a failure because it was uh, too early. But most people, when they're when when they're thinking about iPhone, and remember, a lot of people when the iPhone came out thought it was a gimmick, um, because they're measuring a phone to a phone instead of an entire communication device that is that's your ai assistant your everything every app your calculator your uh, your maps everything um they're measuring a phone 
And what ends up happening with all of these technologies converging, uh, 3D printing, AI, these, it, they're converging and they're providing different opportunity to do, do things completely different and not just handle one industry, potentially handle multiple out of the same technology over over time. So that's, um, so it's, it's a really exciting time. Um, we've also never had, and you asked the Satoshi question, we've never had, uh, uh, we've never had um, creative destruction come to money before. So, so money is just an abstract concept of our time. And and when you manipulate money, you manipulate our time as a byproduct. When there's, there is in misinformation in money, there must be misinformation everywhere else. So you have these two trends, one technology dri driving free market and technology, which must drive prices lower and give humanity more for less, must. I think that's why you use a phone, the iPhone. That's why we use this Zoom. So we're getting way more for less and that's why we use this and technology technology entrepreneurs are solving those needs um so you would think prices would be falling like crazy but you're up against a system that must push prices higher and that pricing high, higher is all manipulation and money and so by stopping the free market forces at the company level so typically if a, a government tries to protect a monopoly power the free market attacks it, attacks it, attacks it, and you have creative destruction that wipes it out anyways. And the government can protect an industry in their own backyard, but the world keeps going and that industry dies. That's what's happening to money right now. And money is, is a top level over every other decision. And so what Bitcoin is doing is 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 that and if you ran it so now if you think about one of the technologies that i'm wildly excited about and i'm trying to get my kids to learn everything they can about it is it learn layer one layer two learn bitcoin and layer two and what's happening on bitcoin because what's half how fast that's happening it's like it's it's like the 90s and the inter internet it's literally um, a gold rush in what's ha happening there and how fast that's going to grow. It's actually owning Bitcoin is like owning a piece of the internet. I'm reminded of uh, Andreas Antonopoulos's TED talk on, on Bitcoin where he, I think it was where he debuted the term internet of money. And I found that really compelling. It was an excellent crystallization of why he thinks Bitcoin has such transformative potential. And it's specifically because you have a lodestone technology money, which enables the division of labor, specialization, trade. It, it enables low time preference activity because it's a unit of accounts and a store of value. And for the first time in history, it's going to, it is set up in such a way that the same creativity that was applied to open source software can now be applied to this money because it is open source, because it's open via the distributed ledger. And we've never seen the congruence, the, the confluence of these two forces. And I listened to that and thought, I, I think that's exactly right. And I've been reading about Bitcoin pretty much all the time ever since. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's it, and, and people should look deeper it's, uh, on it. One of the things that I've said this quite, quite often, if money can be, so if, if, you can, if you could change the rules on money to give yourself an advantage over other humans, human, history says you will. 
I wish that wasn't true, but but it is true throughout history. And that's why gold is a pretty good, it has always been a good peg to money, but it always gets captured and then repriced um, it, because it has to be centralized. And so, so you, you, for the first time in history, you might have, Bitcoin provides a way to decentralize money and to take, uh, uh, to take that control away from the worst in us to be able to do that. And as a byproduct, if you think how exciting it is, if you get into, forget where we are in the cycle today, if you think about where we are in the cycle tomorrow, and again, Thomas, you write about a bunch of the technologies. One of the things that I could not get my head around is how there were a whole bunch of technology, how people super excited about technology tied to an, to a system that could not let the abundance gained from that technology to be broadly transferred to humanity. Because if technology is deflationary, if it's and you know where it's going, robotics, AI, most of the most of the later labor, if you move out 10, 20 years, is gone. And if prices don't fall at that rate, the labor is going out, and because you're manipulating them higher to keep kind of mice on wheels to move faster and faster, um, then who gets to decide? Who enslaves popula the, the the population on that on, on that, and so so today today I think Bitcoin is actually the only thing that that solves that problem. There may be something different tomorrow. I don't know, but today uh, but today I think the, the 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 best choice to avoid the worst of that future is Bitcoin, and that means means as I do my job. As an entrepreneur to deliver more value and if i win if i lose i lose i i lose my time i lose my money i lose everything in that if i win the only way i win is by providing more value to other people and the output of that more value decreases costs if i use technology to automate faster and people use my company because it automates faster and that reduces jobs as jobs fall away prices fall in lockstep I think the only way humanity makes it to the other side is through a currency that allows for deflation and seeing that uh, seeing that no government will allow that to happen from the current system. It has to be imposed from a new system. I think that's what's happening. So you say you'd say Bitcoin is the only currency that would allow us to move beyond the coming era of technological unemployment and all the unrest that that will cause because because it's it's logical that that technological uh, unemployment that has to happen remember we're not thinking in terms of where ai systems and robot when people th think look look back at youtube and look at boston robotics 10 years ago and look yeah, at boston yeah. robotics today it's now, crazy. I, and, and but 10 years ago people would have thought it was a joke today if they look at boston robotics and they would have never predicted what's happening today but they will now anchor those robots in their mind and they'll say and they'll project that forward we project our present forward we don't project the future so so what will happen with those being smaller different use types all with ai systems with drones the coming revolution there to pretend that there's going to be way more jobs out of that. I think you got to have your head in your sand, the sand. 
And so when you're when it was so so if prices don't fall, as entrepreneurs are using this technology to make your life better, then then you're going then all of all of the wealth is concentrated, all the power is concentrated in very few hands. Let's uh let let's stick with that theme for a moment. So one of the big issues you grapple with in your work is the idea, the dangers of technological unemployment. And I wonder if you might just briefly outline the case for the claim you just made that in the future, as a result of advances in robotics and artificial intelligence, we're not only going to see you know, unemployment as a result of that, like shifting labor, people doing different jobs, but it's actually going to cause uh, a net loss in jobs. And you said that to believe that more jobs are going to come out of that is, you know, absurd. But for the most part, that's what we've always seen in technological revolutions in the past. So uh, there's sort of this this running joke that the people say it's different this time, but it sounds like you're saying it's different this time. So so why don't you make the case for it actually being different this time? So so what I would say is so first, if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter. A free market will, but but the point is, a free market on hard money with is specifically Bitcoin. Um, one one, if you go back to gold, typically what you'd have to build on top of gold because you couldn't trade it around the world to make a global economy work. Right. It had to be centralized and you had to build a credit-based system on top of it. Right. And as a credit-based system was built on top of it, um, what would happen is more and more incentive to do short-term, kind of remove the gold, more and more leverage, and that leverage has to grow over time. So when we hear 2% inflation in money, what we don't hear is nobody votes for that. Nobody votes for that's not a, it's a hidden tax and it's the most regressive tax in, on the planet because it takes from the middle class and poor and gives to the rich. Your assets go up and inflation is wage deflation. It's exactly the same thing. So it's savings deflation. It's a, so it's a it's a it's a tax on the it's a hidden tax on the middle class and poor and a hidden gift to the rich. And um, and so, but it has to grow over time. And we all believe there's a whole bunch of people that believe that um, uh, inflation is required. Right. It's ludicrous. It's it, so so you have to have theft in your money to be able to uh, to be able to live in a productive society. And so so now people they don't question two percent. They say what rate of theft? So is five percent's bad, but two percent's okay. Um, now. What ends up happening on Bitcoin is you don't have to build that same thing on top because, and you know this because you can you can trade it on layer two. It, it actually becomes the entire currency, and you can trade it back and forth peer to peer. What that um, what that means is the free market works. It's a market, and 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 if there's more jobs, and if there's more economy, prices will go up, and if there's less. That forcing function of of jobs coming out will drive prices down as a result. And what why that is is in in economics, things tend trend towards the marginal cost of labor, or it's a marginal marginal cost of production. Sorry, marginal cost of production. And if you're so if if I'm taking AI systems and I can remove more labor, the marginal cost of production is far far lower. Um, and, it, and, and if I try to keep my prices really high, 
my margin's really high. There's a there's a hundred thousand millions of entrepreneurs who will give you more value by cutting my price. Yeah, and um, if, if there's not a state building uh, walls around that industry, it's almost impossible to to maintain monopoly prices and monopoly margins indefinitely. And and so so now you you and and, and I, I know Tom uh, Thomas wrote about this, but education's already free. Certification isn't free, but education's already free. Um, it, it, you could get to anybody you want right now, or, or right now, and I can tell you from hiring thousands of people, who I would hire. Um, I hire the per, I hire the best the person uh, that's constantly learning, um, not the person who says I have the best degree. And 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 we don't might not believe that's true right now because we lived in a different world, and twenty years ago, thirty years ago. Um, universities consolidated the best information and then taught it to us slowly. That consolidation doesn't is not needed in them anymore. It's been arbitraged away. And the only reason that those still, they, they still exist is because there's a belief that change is slower, that people think they're gonna get a higher paying job by going through that cycle. Right. It's already breaking down. Right. And, and, and so, so these types of things, and, and that was a kind of a segue to get to, to get to this. If I had, if, if kind of as technology is going industry and in, after industry and, and reducing cost and bringing abundance to, to everyone, and there's a couple high cost industries and there's a whole bunch of people out of jobs, but it costs way less to live. They don't need the same, same amount of work to be able to live. And prices fall and locks up, but there's a whole bunch of there's a couple of industries with massive margins. Where do you think entrepreneurs will go? They will attack that. I'll tell you what I would do. I'd attack the the one with the 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 most opportunity to give more value, and that would be the highest margin industry. So so let me follow up a little bit with um, your line of thinking that. Um, labor goes away as we add more efficiencies into the technology. And if we move to electric vehicles, then there's less labor involved in repairing engines. If we move to autonomous vehicles, then we need far fewer drivers. Um, but uh, as, as we move up this um, uh, technology curve, then we we get into the space travel and space hotels and and colonizing planets and things like that. So as labor goes away on one end, we're creating new types of labor, new types of jobs. Uh, the the technology actually um, creates more demand for help uh, on the other end. Um, isn't that kind of the, the kind of the creative destruction process? I, so I, th I think partly, but I think that's the, I think that's the actual cha change um, in this. I'll try to do a decent job of what I'm going through, but it's very, <laughs> very complicated. <laughs> so if you think about any society, forget humans, think about another planet. If you, and, and, and to get off that planet, they'd have to be able to do the same things that we're doing, trade and typically trade to find a common currency to, to enhance labor 
to be able to build to the, our collective knowledge, you'd have to have a common currency. And if that common currency could be manipulated, it would typically around be around a metal or something valuable that was scarce. Um, in any on any planet, if they got to our point, they would have to go through the same cycle. And then as they were transitioning to be to be multi-planetary species, going through a Cardassian cycle and you harnessing more energy, as they were transitioning, the same technology that that we grow by error correction, we our minds grow by error correction. We're standing on the shoulders of all of the other great people that went before us, error correcting and making our world better. And at some point, it turns into a point where machines and, and AI systems are doing that better than us. Now, we might integrate with those machines. I think that's highly probable to be able to be multiplied, whether we like it or not, but we might integrate in time with those machines. Um, but you would imagine on whether it's this planet, another planet, that a cycle would have to happen that as we were creating more and more knowledge, eventually the knowledge would be able to create machines and knowledge systems that were better than us. That fair? Okay. And that was in that same thing in like, if you think about 3d, 3d printing, if you extrapolate what AI systems and 3d printing, you could be able to mine an asteroid and, and, and start to build society with robots um, and ro robotics. Whereas when you, when you had to sail ships over to the new world, it looked really different. So you're able to, so, so a lot of that starts to move into machines and the same thing moving from one planet to many planets is, I think the same thing moving through tech that technology stack as, as, and, and I suspect that if a civilization got to this point, that the hardest thing for a civilization would be to do because their entire world would be exactly like our entire world has been. It has to be more and more labor all the time. And they would have to shift their knowledge to a point where technology could do the job better. So, so that naturally presumes that um, robotics and AI is a direct replacement for humans and my my contention is is that humans have other qualities that aren't easily um, transcribed into uh, into machines. Um, I agree with you, by the way. I, I, I so this isn't, and, and I want, I want to be careful uh, with this. Is pe people get scared of this concept, and it's black or white. Yeah. We're, we're talking, it's not black or white. I don't think that there's a day where all humans go away and it's just all AI systems. It might be, but I don't think that's a high, probab a high probability event. But there, if, you're, if you're thinking about in relation to jobs and how our economy is wired, then a lot of the jobs go away. Right, right. And so it's not black or white. And will there still be jobs? Yes, but will the jobs look like they do today? And will it be far less of them? I think there has to be yes too. And that requires a different mode of, uh, of an economy than, we've used, than we're used to. 
Okay. So what, what, is, what does the mode of that economy look like? So it, what, it, what it means is the free market has to allow prices to fall. If we block the prices from falling through an inflationary monetary policy, we will drive, I think, our planet to extinction. That's what I think. Uh, that's what I. That, that's what I think ha happens because whether whether you, there's if from the math of that, right? Who gets to decide? Remember, you could work for forty years of your labor. You could have all of it sitting in cash. You didn't buy a home. You didn't. You're just sitting in cash, and somebody could press a button, and it's gone because they decided to print more money. Right. Because you you that is not a free market. It's no. a manipulated market, and so. It, so then, it, then the question is, who gets to decide who wins, who loses? When you and 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 now paint the face of the person sitting on top of that that stack, and because the only way they can do that is is more and more control over everything, and the more and more control over everything actually removes the free market. Just imagine this: what would an entrepreneur do? What do I do when prices rise? I have to remove labor faster because if I don't remove labor faster, you won't use my product. And, and so, so ironically, as, as, as money is being printed and on this cycle, mathematically it has to, or the whole system collapses, the, they're, they're carrying out, it's actually getting worse because you have two cycles reinforcing the opposite directions and it's concentrating more and more wealth and power as a result. So that ends in, in kind of a couple of different ways. One way it could, you could say, okay, let's go to central bank, digital currencies. Um, government controls us completely. We just do what they say and they can just pinch a button, hit a button and they have surveil you through that money. It could end there in there. And if it did, you would never get out of it. People won't stand. It'd be impossible to stand up to that, that power, because that power would also control the AI systems. So that is, but that is one path, and that is a path that kind of humanity's on right now. Um, and another path that we've seen throughout history is when debt debt bubbles get this big, is, is and a whole bunch of people are left out. Those people don't know they're left out by the same what we're talking about. They think they think they think it is capitalism. It's crony capitalism, but they think it's capitalism and they th and, and, and they go back to government that's creating the problem by printing money and they say save us. Um, or they elect a new dictator to come in and change the rules. And and typically what you get in that course of event is revolution, war, reset. We've never had revolution war reset with the type of weapons we have today to annihilate our planet. And so I, I do worry about that, out, that outcome in revolution war reset. But if you look at the signposts around the world, it's, I know this is part of a dark conversation, <laughs> it's pretty dark, but that is what's happening. If you look at all around the world, you can start to see this, um, this emerging. Um, and I think what Bitcoin is is on the other side, because the system cannot change, because if the system allows deflation, if it allows, it wouldn't be the deflation I talk about in my book, a good free market deflation, 
just where prices naturally come down as labor as labor comes out or you, get, you know, technology does jobs better prices naturally fall it wouldn't be the good type of deflation it would be a debt spiral deflation and that's what so so governments are caught having to print more and more and more to try to avoid the debt spiral deflation and they're causing the other two outcomes faster and faster and faster as a result i wish that weren't true but it's true and bitcoin in that event is actually what's happening is it's a system change that most people can't see it's actually a system. I, I consider it a bridge to the other side that early people are walking across that bridge and they're creating the bridge and the whole movement, all of the people working on it, layer two, all of that work, El Salvador are using it, is, is, is building the bridge wider and wider as more people are walking across. And as you do, you under what you understand is, is all prices are coming down forever in Bitcoin. It's not the because we're used to measuring in a fiat currency that's losing value. In in Bitcoin, my house dropped by thirty percent last year. So, so Bitcoin is the key to preventing human extinction. I know that's a hard that's going to be really harsh for a lot of people to 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 buy in, but and and it'll sound it maybe it may sound like a tinfoil hat, but 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 I've done a lot of work. On, on all of these systems. And I have yet to find a, anything else that allows us to transition to the other side. And a transition to the other side is critical for the free, free market to work. Otherwise, the abundance gained from technology is concentrated. You're pushing all of that value, not through a free market, you're pushing that value into very few hands. So we often get into these discussions on how everything eventually breaks down. Um, all the AIs will eventually break down, all the robots will eventually break down, and all the humans will eventually break down. Um, and so it's, it's, there's no um, durability past a certain point. Um, and so, the, um, so the, the idea that, every, that something is perpetually headed in one direction, it seems like nothing is inevitable and uh, and so we we get into lots of debates pros and cons in these areas so uh, have you have you gone down that path of saying well um, if AI is going to take over all of humanity it can't possibly last too long because it'll eventually break down is it a self-repairing AI can it fix itself can it create new AIs to take over? from where it left off. Uh, I mean, you asked the same question about robots. Can, can a robot create another robot that can take over? Um, and I don't know. So we get into these kind of these endless loop um, yeah, arguments, canceling out other arguments. So, <laughs> so, so but here's an interesting thing, and it ties into humans in the loop. Right and and and, us and, and and loop and actually it ties into a free market as well. How could an AI predict? So if you, you some there's some people who believe it's okay we can concentrate all power in government because with AI we could predict what everybody wants all the time. It, it, what a ludicrous because it's because it's completely absurd. An AI can't do that because we are ourselves prediction machines. 
that that we don't know what we want until we see it. And and sometimes I'm going to pay way more for something that I want tomorrow. And the next time I might wait two months and pay way less. And there's no, and, and to be able to understand every single person's motivation and what they deem of value at a certain moment, it's impossible to do. That is the market economy. And it's actually, but, but if it, and this might take us down into a rabbit hole that, but um, here's a, here's a thing I think about a lot. And I think about it from a, from, we know today that, that standard physics and quantum physics don't match. There's so no unifying theory of, of how those work. And from the double split experiment in quantum physics, we also know that a subatomic particle, if there's no observer, goes through both slits at the same time. But that blows our mind. And how could that be possible? So that wave function that, uh, but if there's an observer, the wave function collapses and it only goes through one of the slits. So the observer has proven a um an impact on the result we have an impact on the result observer has an impact on the result i've i, I think about a a in in this in um where we're going i think about in and and it ties into the victim analogy and us all creating our own realities but but i see every day a different world than perhaps you do I see a different world than than my kids do, or other because of my experiences, and I I I I'm tuned to different opportunities, and that and and some other things are completely blind. And I think about this as a dinner. I think about this a hundred people in a room, and we're having a and we're having a conversation, and and in that conversation, if you if you had a uh, if you had to. Uh, imaging device on for you in your brain, you would see a P3 wave cascading over your uh, neurons as they were firing a P3 wave, and it would cascade, and you could see the conscious your decision making process tuned into this uh, discussion. And you have to assume that in the hundred-person room and all of the different conversations, that there's a conversation in that room that could change your life forever, but you don't hear it. You have no idea it's there. It's invisible as a wave function. You never heard it, but you know, you actually hear them because if somebody says your name across the room, you tune out of my conversation and you listen to another conversation and a P3 wave crosses your brain there. So is potentially is quantum in our mind and all of these open doors is, is, is that what we're choosing because we create our, we create reality. The, your your iPhone was just an idea. All of these things are just ideas that, and and then we live in a shared reality of that world that we create. Um, but most of us, and it's fair to say, we don't see it, right? We don't see. We all we don't see the choices we didn't make. We don't see the conversations we didn't hear, um, even though they're still registering in our brain. And sometimes, and as I think about even Bitcoin, there's a whole bunch of people that it wouldn't, they're either pushed up against it, they would never even investigate it, or or it, it never registers because they're, and maybe it will tomorrow, maybe it will, uh, but but all of these things, these, these ideas, if they catch on, I try to think about it as a P3 wave catching one brain 
cascading over more and more people, almost infecting more and more people. And if enough people believe in the new reality and it's hopeful reality, that's where you move. Yeah, so I do. Th so I do think that's a hopeful future because it means we are part of it. It means it, it means we we uh, it matters a lot. And I don't think an AI system can replace. I don't think at least for the near future, an AI system can replace that. Yeah, and I, I tend to reach the same conclusion by coming from a, a different direction. So it's for me, it's it's not so much uh, referencing quantum physics or anything like that. It's it's more just that. Preferences are revealed through actions. So the idea that you could just set up some utility function to predict what a person wants and plug some numbers in that a bureaucrat has generated from, you know, off the top of their head or from an Excel spreadsheet and thereby arrive at an accurate model of, of their behavior that will actually map onto their real world, real world choices in a way that makes them happy is ludicrous. Like it, it's only by yeah, especially no, I, I love what you just said, because especially because it would have to be looking backward and it wouldn't be predicting anything forward because your mind changes all the time. If you looked if you looked at what you believed in 10 years ago and look at what you believe in now and your choices now, they're different. They're very different. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so therefore, it's, it's not that you can never predict what a person will do, but to make it a social policy that there is going to be a centralized authority that understands people well enough to know what they need and want and therefore will provision it and remove all of their choices from that activity is just, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's, a, it's dystopian. That's a really dystopian world. Yeah. Someone should write a book about that. <laughs> I did. I did. It's called the price of tomorrow. <laughs> so if, if you were going to describe the year 2040, how, how would you describe it in terms of how it, today's world will morph into something new and different. Um, this is actually, Thomas, why I've become a Bitcoin maxi or Bitcoin. Um, I almost can't stop thinking about it because, because at the highest level, I, I have not seen anything else that can get us across to be able to allow the abundance gained from technology to be broadly shared. And I see a lot of really dystopian type of events. And, and I worry about this because I'm, um, I'm a really big studier of human nature and read just about everything on this. And, and you can tell even how I think about myself, kind of error, error correction things, um, mistakes I might make, what, would, what, uh, what that would look like. That doing that actually makes me really good at business. And why? Because people tell you they will do one thing and they do a different thing. And when and 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 if you have a system that's set up for an incentive system that is that is effectively a manipulated a bad incentive system, what humans are capable of doing, the worst side of us comes out. I wish it wasn't true, but the worst side of us just emerges because what we do is we, we typically protect ourselves, our family, our friends, our city or, or groups of people, whatever, whoever we identify as groups of people, nation, so on. And we don't see how those same actions on, an, on a bad incentive system hurt somebody else and they do the same thing. 
So the way our minds work, and we can easily tell ourselves, we'll only do it this one time. We'll only make this much money because then we can escape the system and then we'll be different. And we make it worse and we make it worse and we make it worse. And at the worst part of that, you th see things like, like uh, Germany and, and, and uh, Hitler's Germany. And don't look at Hitler in that. Look at all of the people who contributed to that or hid in it. That, and, and then ask yourself, are we, have our minds changed in the last 75 years? We're the same people. And so when you have an incentive system that is a bad incentive system, the worst in humanity comes out. When you have an incentive system that is congruent with the best in humanity, the best in humanity comes out. And, and I've only seen one, one in, in Bitcoin, no other altcoins, no other anything, because they can all be centralized. I've only seen Bitcoin that actually has, not guaranteed to, but has the chance to become that decentralized system that allows the best in humanity to come out. And if we have that, the abundance gained, what our world looks like, how exciting that is. Now, there's a transition from a system that's dying <laughs> to a new system, and it, it's going to be tough. For, it's going to be tough on people if you're if you're holding on to the old system. It might be really tough on you. If you're holding on to an old job and an old system that's going away, it might be tough on you. Um, it doesn't change the facts. Um, as we transition to this uh, a new system, the best and brightest will move, and and and. And that's a very, and it, and it forces the abundance gained from all of this technology to be broadly shared. I, I kind of think of it this way. One world looks like Star Wars. One world look, looks like Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. I, I, I especially like your comments about uh, history and the rise of Hitler in Germany in the 1930s. I, I think it's important to study to study those historical episodes and to especially read whatever primary sources you can get from the time, because it's pretty easy to come out of, you know, 10th grade history with a sort of fuzzy view of what happened and just dismiss the people involved as being evil or stupid or barbarians. But I mean, I, I defy you to read, you know, Mussolini's what is fascism or even parts of Mein Kampf and not, and not, you know, find yourself nodding along with bits of it. You know, it, it's, it, that gives you a perspective on how it is that whole, civilizations can be sucked into this like mad fever dream that grips them and then destroys them uh, in a way that nothing else can. It, it, look at, look at social media today. Look at the polarization of politics. Look at, look at what people are saying to each other and what they're doing and what their, what their actions are showing. And you can see it emerging. Um, why do people do that? And, 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 because when you take away, if you think about a whole bunch of people that are left out, they, they're, they're, they're wanting to provide for their family and future. And their, their rents just went up by 30%. Their food just went up by 30%. Their, um, uh, uh, their gas it went, it went up and they can't do it anymore. And, and, when, and when, you, when you're doing that to people, they rise up and they don't question what we're talking about. They looked for somebody to solve it. And it's easier to put a face and say it's that person's problem than, than explore at the level we're exploring here. 
So it's 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 in human nature. And once you've once you once you've um, once you've done that, you can't unring that bell. Well, we normally like to end on a positive note. So is there any <laughs> chance that you have some positive thoughts you'd like to share with us as we wrap up here? Yeah, so that, that is the, the so every every company I'm involved in, um, where Bitcoin is going, I, I can't believe how positive this is. I cannot believe how much time. I just I encourage other people to look where where this is going because because as they start to understand how how positive this is, positive for for themselves because they're going to be part of building the future. Um, but but positive for for the abundance gain for broadly humanity it's 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 one of the most wildly exciting times by the way what do entrepreneurs do they solve problems and so and today our world is full with of a lot of problems and so so it's a really exciting time as, a, as an entrepreneur and what technology can allow, allow us to solve where it's moving i'm really excited um, i just don't want to be unrealistic <laughs> with where we're going and we can't get there on the same what got us here won't get us there Right. I think that's fantastic. Thank you so much for, for joining us. This has been a wonderful conversation. Yeah, I want to thank you for challenging lots of uh, common assumptions and, uh, and for pushing us to think in ways that we hadn't thought before. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. This was great. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>